God, we are thankful to be together this morning to worship you, to consider these offices, this particular office that you have ordained for your church. Thank you for faithful shepherds and thankful. Thank you for a healthy church. That is so easy sometimes to take for granted until you don't have one. And so we are so very thankful, Lord. We know that it is all of grace. Lord, as we consider these things, we pray that it be a boon to our church, to our souls. Give us clarity as we look at these scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are beginning a new series this morning, and the series really uh, more encompassingly is on the pastoral epistles and just kind of ecclesiology, and that is a term, if you're not familiar, that is a kind of a theology of the church, ecclesia, uh, the assembly, uh, the church, and so ecclesiology is a theology of the church, and, and some of you come from a variety of uh, different backgrounds where church was everything from someone standing up almost like a Christian version of a pope or a group of, you know, benevolent dictators or something, kind of calling all the shots and just expecting everyone to say, uh, yes, sir, to just kind of a free-for-all um, democratic mayhem in terms of church government. Some people uh, have been in churches where church discipline has been exercised and practiced. Some people have been in churches where they don't even have church membership. Um, some people have been in churches where there, there aren't uh, elders or deacons. Uh, what's the difference between an elder and a deacon? What's the difference, if there is one, between a pastor and an elder or an overseer? Are there differences? Are they the same? All of these are questions in the realm of ecclesiology and and so what we're going to try to do is think well about these things, but what we're going to do is front end the discussion of the role of elder, and that is primarily because two of our elders, Ben Scott and Stephen, uh, are up for reconfirmation. And so every uh, four years, four elders, um, we bring the elders before our people, the members particularly. And they are, and we're going to get more into process in a, in a second, but this is why we're looking at what an elder is. They are basically reevaluated. Do they continue one personally? To, do they still aspire to be in this role? But are they still fit to serve? Are they still fit to serve? Some of you have been in denominations and traditions where once someone's kind of voted in, it's like the Supreme Court justice version of pastor. You know, once you're in, it doesn't matter what happens, you're, you're in. And we just, uh, that's not how we practice. That's not how we practice it. So every four years, that elder's life gets held up again. People have an opportunity to address things uh, that, that, that may be concerns for them. They have an opportunity to affirm that elder in the presence of uh, other, other people. And so these are really sweet, but also really meaningful times. But if you don't know what an elder is or what an elder is supposed to be doing or the qualifications of an elder, it's very difficult to meaning, meaningfully kind of participate in that process. And so that's why we are starting with the role of elder. Um, now, let me just say that when I came to Tennessee, I had no idea that when you say elder around here, or at least for a lot of people, that everyone thinks the Church of Christ. 
Does anyone know? Has anyone like encountered that? Yeah. So James grew up COC. Anyone else? So I remember talking with some about elders. Like, oh yeah, you're definitely Church of Christ. Like, what? no, 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 no. Wait, what? And so apparently. And this is not surprising. You can use, as I've said many times before on many different issues, the same vocabularies with kind of different dictionaries. Okay, so we just want to be clear about what we are saying. So today will be foundational. Just what is an elder? If you had to explain to someone what is an elder, hopefully after today you will have a good understanding. And then in subsequent sessions, we'll press into a little bit more about qualifications and such. I, I don't I doubt that we will get all the way to the qualifications today, but we're going to have a couple of these to really tease out the role of elder, okay? Any questions or comments, observations before we get started, open the text. I hope you brought your Bible because I want you to be able to understand where you get a theology of eldership from. Any questions or comments before we get, get into this? Great. Okay, first, the elder, the role of elder. Who and what? So here's what I am suggesting as a definition, and it could be tweaked, and no definition is perfect. But here's what I'm suggesting. Elders slash overseers slash pastors are God-ordained shepherds of local churches, primarily responsible for guarding and promoting the spiritual health, teaching, and macro-level leadership of the church. God-ordained shepherds of local churches primarily responsible for guarding and promoting both, one's negative, one's positive, the spiritual health, teaching, and macro-level leadership of the church. Now, I am not going, I had to figure out some stuff to cut out, because if I was talking with Ben and Stephen, and if I went through every issue that we could talk about with regards to eldership, we'd be here for six weeks just talking about elder. We can, we can do that. Okay. We were going to take some extended, se- or a couple of sessions on this, but what I'm not going to go into is the in-depth argument for why the, the, the elder, overseer, and pastor refer to the same office, that they can be used interchangeably, okay? If you, if you tuned in to what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention here recently, there was a motion introduced to introduce female pastors, and people said, wait, you're going, you know, theologically liberal or moderate, and oh, wait, pastors aren't elders, though. No, we agree that... Only qualified men can be elders, but pastors are a different thing. Okay, and so uh, there, there are, and then overseer. If you've, if your other in, have come out of other traditions, an overseer is is sometimes viewed as someone who is overseeing a, a, a group of churches in a particular area. So you have your pastors, your local church pastors, but then the overseer is kind of like the the bishop of the province, kind of a kind of a thing. I'm not going to go into why all these seem to be interchangeable. However, when we turn to Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, in just a second, um, which I guess that just says, does it say Peter 5? Yeah, 1 Peter 5, whoops. Uh, you will see, I think, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll very quickly point out why at least one reason of the three or four that they believe, people believe, theologians believe these offices to be interchangeable. And if you want the extended version of that, I have argued for it extensively. I'll send you a PDF. It's on my blog, but this isn't Tyler's blog time, so I'm not even going to say the name of it. Um, if, you, if you're interested in that, let me know. I'll send you to my blog, or um, I'll send you a PDF and give you four arguments for why these are interchangeable. So with that said, open with me to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. You'll recall this is... Uh, mostly known or remembered for Paul's conversation with the 
Ephesian elders right after Eutychus, our good man Eutychus, falls out the window. And and and, and so what we, we want to listen in on this conversation, tune in. I'm going to read through the passage once, and then I just want to make some observations about it. The first passage here in Acts chapter 20 is a great example. And then in 1 Peter uh, 5, we're going to get some exhortations. Okay, so let me just read starting in, uh, let's see, where do I want to start? Let's just start at 17 and I'll read down just for context. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, uh, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So this is his goodbye. This is his last goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then verse 28 is when we really want to really listen in here. What is he, what's his last word to these elders at the church of Ephesus? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown that by hard, working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so let's just briefly, particularly starting at 28, I'm just going to make some very, I think, very obvious observations. Nothing particularly profound, because it's just right there on the page. It's just right there on the page. So what is, if you had to say one thing to a group of elders in the early church, when you, you would never see them again, what would you say? Well, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. 28. So pay careful attention to two objects. Number one, yourselves. He's going to tell Timothy to keep watch on your own life and, and doctrine. An elder is supposed to pay very close attention to themselves, not in some kind of self-centered project, but being very careful to watch how they walk, 
Watch their own heart. Just like, second part, they are supposed to watch the flock. Now, already we have shepherd language, right? Because who watches flocks? Okay, it's not airline pilots, it's shepherds. We have Paul addressing the elders, saying that they are to watch over the flock, okay? Careful attention in themselves and to the flock. And then we see the God-ordained part that I mentioned in the definition, in which the Holy Spirit has made you. Then we get that third term, overseers. Talking to elders to shepherd the flock because they've been made overseers. See how that works? See how that kind of seems to be interchangeable there? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so this is not simply an ecclesiological best practice. Hey, you know what we should do? We should... Golly, I think we should... We should have some elders. Like, that would really be practically helpful. And certainly, it is practically helpful, but the idea that you have elders is something that isn't just an accident of history or is not just for pragmatism. It's something that is God-ordained, and, and the Holy Spirit works sovereignly through a variety of means to set apart these people, these overseers. And what, are they, what do they do? They care for, last part of that verse, or almost, they care for the church of God. They care for them. They're paying attention to themselves and then to the flock so that toward the end of caring for the church of God, caretakers of the church, shepherd this flock, Paul says, because he knows something's going to happen. This is why they have to be careful. Verse 29, right? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing, again, the flock. So we get the shepherd language, which, by the way, I think I haven't made it explicit yet. The word shepherd and pastor are the same word in Greek. There isn't a the same word. So when I say uh, flock, shepherd, that, that's the argument that that's part of the argument that pastor, overseer and elder are interchangeable. Shepherd, um, a shepherd and, and pastor, same, same word. What's going to happen? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so what are you going to have to be prepared for? You're going to have to be prepared to not only promote, but you guard the flock. And of course, again, it is the shepherd who fends off the wolves. It's the pastor who fends off Wolves. And that's not to say that someone else couldn't do it. It's to say that they have the responsibility to do it. Does that make sense? That's not like the, the only person who can correct false doctrine in church is a pastor. But they're the only one who has the God-given responsibility to be able to and being charged and set apart with, by the Holy Spirit to do it. Okay? It's, not, it's the difference between responsibility and ability. Okay? So he knows that fierce wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock. And then the most haunting part is verse 30. Where, all, where else are the wolves going to come? Wolves come from without, but what he says is a little bit more terrifying. And from among your own selves. From among your own selves. Will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So you have to watch yourself and you have to guard the flock. And that is 
partly why, I'm skipping forward to process, why we do re-examinations. I don't want to, I have the highest confidence, let me just say, the highest esteem and confidence for both Stephen and Ben. But suppose they gave me good reason to not have such an esteem and confidence. And I thought that they had turned into a wolf in shepherd's clothing. Like one of these, someone who arose from the ranks of the inside, elders themselves. If that's what I thought about them, which to be very clear, I don't. But if I did, it would be my responsibility to say, you got to go. We have to, we got to guard things here. And so there will, there will be fierce wolves that come in, not sparing the flock, both from outside and also from inside. Therefore, again, 31, be alert. Do you see how many times this watchfulness, pay attention, is for an, el an elder is supposed to be like this. Looking. I'm promoting and I'm guarding. I'm promoting and I'm guarding. Do I think a sheep's about to get devoured? I'm on, I'm on guard. I'm going to wear somebody out if someone's going to try to devour one of my sheep. How do we promote and flourish? Do we need to water the grass here for this person? Do we need to? Yes. Yeah. So great question. I think answering that will kind of take me in a different direction than I'm trying to just discuss right like that's kind of like how how do you how do you pastor in the 21st century with social media and it's a very good question but it's is really more about a situational application of eldership and not like the role of elder does that make sense uh, but but, I, but I'm happy to address the question just not at this at this moment if that's okay so therefore be alert be alert and then he gives himself as an example verse 31 remembering that for three years he didn't seize day or night. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Then you skip down to verse 35. It says, In all things I have shown thee by working hard in this way, though he worked with his own hands, we must help the weak. He uses a we there with the elders to help the weak. And he says, Remember the words of Christ Himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Elders are not supposed to be people who are receiving and loving. I just love being an elder because I'm so respected or because I get this stuff or I get preferential treatment. Hey, I've got, guess what I've got? Keys to this building. Big time perks, y'all. Big time perks of being a pastor. I got a church credit card. Love it. The Reformed Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got demoted, I guess. <laughs> so, um, so, so the elders are supposed to be pouring themselves out for the people, guarding, protecting, promoting the spiritual flourishing of the flock as shepherds. Again, shepherds, pastors, same word. That's the picture that we see. That's Paul's, that's the Apostle Paul's last word to the plurality, meaning the multi, more than one elder, the elders, the group of elders, the elder team at Ephesus. Okay? 
It's a lot to learn there. And we're going to go through more of these itemized out in just a second, but I want you to see this. All right, now, now turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. He's writing, recall, to elect exiles in some Roman provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, quite a region. And he gets to the last chapter here. And this is what he says. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd or pastor, same again word. Shepherd, pastor, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So again, pause. I'm not making the full case here, but he's explicitly saying, talking to the elders, he is telling them to pastor, exercising oversight. Again, the three concepts seem to all just kind of be right there. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, again, shepherd, the chief shepherd, sounds like there's some like under shepherds, perhaps, if that's, he's the chief shepherd, there's an implied, something under that, it, uh, you, you would imagine. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So uh, let's just talk about a few things in this passage. Look down at it with me. So he kind of, Peter gives an apologetic for why he has the authority to say this, and of course we probably don't need uh, much convincing, but he does it anyways. And then he says, shepherd or pastor the flock of God. There's a flock among you. And you are to be shepherding them, doing what a shepherd does. Shepherds, shepherd, they pastor. Pastor the flock. If someone, in fact, someone did ask me the other day, and they were asking, what they were looking for was the answer evangelism. They were mistaken. This person said, what do you think a pastor's primary role is? And I said, to shepherd the flock of God, to be a shepherd. And they were confused because they thought the Sunday morning was primarily a time for the lost to be evangelized, which is an unpopular thing to think, I think, sometimes. But I said, no, my, my, my role includes evangelism, but I'm a shepherd, first and foremost. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. I'm looking over, if you want to think of it that way. Again, there's that watchfulness. I'm watching, like you kind of, if you watch, uh, that's a, not a great analogy. Well, I'm going to risk it anyways and just pray for grace. So like whenever you're watching a bunch of kids, you're just like looking for outliers. Or you're, you're just making sure you're, you're on guard. You're on guard. Because at least like, if your kids are anything like my kids, you turn away for just one second. Now, I'm not saying that's you all. But the idea is you're on, uh, an elder uh, isn't supposed to be that way because he's worried about everyone always you know, going crazy or destroying or, or coloring on the walls or something. But, but they are supposed to have a hyper level of vigilance for their people, for their flock. It doesn't take long for a wolf to slip in, and he doesn't have to be in long to cause serious damage, for example. Right? 
Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Here's another reason that we do reevaluations. What happens if an elder is, gets in his role and he says, you know what? I just don't got anymore. I just don't, I just don't want to do this. I, uh, for whatever reason, we could insert a variety of reasons. I just want to hang it up. But you know what? I'm going to do it anyways because, you know, this is a good thing. I'm going to do it anyways to get a paycheck because, hey, I can't start a new career at this age or whatever it is. I mean, insert reason, insert reason, insert reason why I don't want to be doing this, but I'm going to kind of just do it anyways under compulsion. And Peter says, it's not what, not what we're looking for. Elders need to continue to aspire. And we're going to get to that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Really the same word, uh, lust, uh, but in a non-sexual sense, a, a, a urge to desire, a strong desire to do this. You're not just mailing it in. An elder cannot get to the point where they're just mailing it in, showing up. It's not, that's, that's not what Peter says. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That's what God wants. Willing pastors. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So let me just say, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem saying this. It's sad to say, but the pastorate is a great place to potentially hide. Remember talking with Jeremy Meeks about this, especially uh, laziness. Okay, a pastorate is potentially a great place to hide laziness and um, respect and even financial gain that is shameful. It is. Because you are oftentimes given the benefit of the doubt, you are perceived a certain way, and so sometimes it's easy to nail it in. I'll say mail it in. You all know what I mean by that. You're, yeah, right? I'm just, I'm coasting. I just show up. I, I talked with, talk with a pastor a couple of years ago who said that he spent 10 minutes in sermon prep on average. He started his sermon prep Sunday morning. He made $92,000 a year, though. Uh, you know, uh, not a lot of accountability in that case. So anyways, on and on and on. So as you want to you try to build those things into the pastor. But my point is, there's a way to do this for shameful gain, for the praise of man. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, he just, just, I just, I just love the praise of man. How people say, you know, how, how much I've helped them or how good of a whatever shameful gain, financial gain, personal gain. Don't do it. He says, do not do this for shameful gain. If you start finding your identity in being a pastor and people going, oh, he's a pastor, you, you have made a misstep. You don't need to be doing this for shameful gain, but you need to be doing it eagerly because you want to be a shepherd. That's what he's saying. You want to shepherd people. You have to be, yeah, you have to shepherd people. You don't just, you, you have to be in one sense a people person. Not, it's not to be confused with being an extrovert or introvert or anything like that, but you have to love people. You can't just love ideas about people, teachings from people, you know, thinking about people. You have to actually love, love people. Not domineering over those in your charge. So, so maybe some of you in the past have had the iron-fisted pastor. What he says goes. Domineering. 
domineering style of leadership. I force my way, my agendas through. Uh, maybe even the way I interact, I know people are afraid to challenge me, so I step up and I say a commanding word and that's it. That's what's going to happen. People feel like, oh my goodness, I don't even want to ask a question because I feel like I'm going to get embarrassed or, or I'm just, you know, I'm just going to get flexed on. Not, not the picture, Peter says. We're not looking for elders that flex their theological muscles on people and make sure everyone knows how much they know about the Bible or, or, or that they're in a position over you or something like that. Not domineering. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. So if you can't look to an elder and say, okay, this is not a perfect man. This is not a perfect man. But I can tell that this person is an example that I can follow in these particular ways. Okay? I would not be ashamed to hold this person up as an example to someone at my workplace for, who said, what, what does a Christian life look like? Um, I want to be able to look to their faith, and we're going to see it in Hebrews chapter 13 in just a second. It, can you look at them and say, can I imitate this person's faith? Can I imitate this person's faith? Is there something about them that says, yes, I mean, I, I, I want to be able to look to them as an example, because think about if you couldn't do that. Wouldn't it be strange to have a pastor that you were like, I hope I'm never anything like any of their character traits, any of their qualities. I don't want any of the kind of fruitfulness that I mean. That would be a really sad state of affairs. He says, you need to be examples to the flock. Do not just tell them how they should live, do it. Make sure that, that, that uh, you've heard the phrase that, that some things are caught rather than taught. Right? Caught rather than taught. One of the ideas here is that you want the, the, the flock to catch. To catch some of your teaching before it gets out of your mouth. You want to live among them in an exemplary way so they say, okay, that's a faith that I can, that I can imitate. Even if that person doesn't have the answers or whatever it is, hey, I can follow that person because they're striving for holiness, I can tell. And even though they're not perfect or even though they this and that, they're an example. And then it gives, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, I think that very clearly implies, given the context, when it says after he's already told them to pastor the flock, and then when the chief pastor appears, clearly pastor, elder, overseer, exercising oversight seem to be interchangeable. Finally, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now you say, well, Tyler, you're younger. What's, what's going on here? So the, as we're going to see in 1 Timothy 3, the norm is that someone is not a kid. They're not young. Meaning, not necessarily, um, yeah, I guess that's what I mean, not a kid. I don't mean they can't be younger in terms of the whole uh, span of life, but the trend is to elders being older and more mature men. Period. End of story. It's going to say if an elder can't manage his own household, how can he put together and manage the household of God? It assumes a degree of seasonedness, a degree, some degree uh, of maturity without putting any kind of age on it. But the idea is you don't look at someone and say, oh man, this is just a college kid who knows a lot of theology. Let's make him an elder. And at seminary, we had to deal with that exact, exact issue. The 23-year-old, uh, 23-year-old theological prodigy who wanted to be an elder in local church and sit down and shepherd people's marriages who are, you know, 50 years old. It's like, hmm. 
probably not a good fit. Frankly, in many cases, not a good fit for me. I let Stephen and Ben do that because guess what? The honest truth is this. You, you can't, you, you just got to accept it. It, it. Some For some people, it's just, it is just simply difficult to look at someone who is, I'm 33, um, and say, you know, I have socks who are older, that are older than you. And so you're not going to, we're not going to do marriage counseling with you. My kids are older than you. Listen, I'm not offended by that. Like, I don't go, oh, you should listen. Mm-mm. I say, you know, we've got two guys, both old enough to be my dad. Steven is the same age as my biological mom. I'm adopted. We've got two guys who you feel more comfortable with. Okay? Not a problem. It's not a problem. I don't, I don't need that. Okay? But the idea is to uh, that, that, that the congregation, the members are supposed to be subject to, and that is that word submission. And nowadays when you hear that word, it's like, submission, oh no. Be subject to the elders. That is to be under them, to be under their authority. They have a God-given authority and you are to be under that. So that's First Peter 5. Now let's finally skip, please, to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews is going to use the word leaders. Um, verse 17, verse 16, he's talking about doing, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then he addresses again this Jewish group of Christians at a time where it wasn't particularly popular to be Jewish and they would have understand because of how there was they understood Jewish leadership. And there was actually Jewish eldership before Christian eldership. Um, they would have understood leaders here to be elders in their church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, is it slightly awkward to be an elder who teaches on Hebrews 13, 17? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Maybe it is. Um, maybe it is a little bit awkward, but that is simply what the Bible calls members of local churches to do. Um, and that is simply the way God has ordered it. It doesn't have anything to do with an elder being more valuable or, or somehow a super whatever. Hopefully they're a super example, but past that, it doesn't mean any, that they're more important in the, anything like that. It's the way God has structured it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And I will say that the jurisdiction of the elder and the vast, there might be some exceptions, but the vast majority of cases is right here. Okay, like the, the elder is not supposed to be telling you how to invest what fund, what market fund to invest your money. Okay, the, the authority of the elder is prime is in the realm of the pastor, the realm of the flock, macro level of the church, guarding, promoting spiritual health of individuals, teaching, shepherding families, etc., looking in on people's lives in the church. That is what they are doing, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So you've got, if you're a member here especially, 
You have three men who are watching over your soul. They watch over your soul as we turn through the directory on our staff calls. We, we, we talk about who, who, is, who is thriving, who may not be, who do we need to reach out to, who perhaps needs help. We pray for you all, and all this. a lot of this stuff happens behind the scenes. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know it. In fact, m- most of the time, I would say, you don't even know it, but we're watching. We're watching. We're watching over souls as those who will give an account. And this is where the rubber really meets the road, because sometimes as a pastor, you have to do things, you have to say things that you know someone's not going to like. Too bad. Do you want to give an account to that person why you didn't shepherd them the way you should have? Or do you want to give an account to God about why you didn't? And a pastor has to say, listen, I'm going to, we're going to see that later on that teachers are going to be held to even a higher standard. So this isn't like a, this is not a perk. The, it, 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 the authority invested in the eldership isn't like a perk. It's not a, well, that must be nice. Sure doesn't feel like a perk. It feels like a weighty responsibility. You feel like, am I am I stewarding it well? Do I need to be doing more? Should I be doing things differently? Am I shepherding enough? Those are the questions I ask myself. Am I using my gifts to the best of the ability to love these people? Do I need to call someone? Do I need to reach out to someone? Do I need to study the How can I be shepherding? Oh, let me look. I need to be watchful. I saw that person's Facebook post. I think they might be discouraged. We should maybe reach out. Trying to be watchful because I'll be held to an, to account for how I do that. It's not it's not a um, yeah it's it's not necess- it's it's not just you get in the role and there it is. You have to give an account for how you've stewarded that particular role as a shepherd of the flock of God. Okay. All right. So three. I realize I didn't write the last one up here. Three kind of chair texts for eldership. Now, in the these four, in these remaining four minutes, let me briefly talk about uh, some very specific things. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and turn to them. If you want to turn with me in your copy of the scripture, that is perfectly fine. First, in Acts chapter 11, we see that the elders that are given the money that is brought um, in verse 29. Um, let's start with 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they didn't say, Go pass it to the church person who was really good with money. Give it to one of the deacons there and have him run it up the, the ladder. Uh, it was entrusted to the elders. Now, how they delegated that out after that doesn't say. Here, we are, Stephen, Ben, and I uh, are have the final say over the finances, but, but, but the deacons and such, particularly Glenn, uh, crafts the budget and says, here's our reports. We get a monthly expense report. Um, we, we, Stephen and I report, if there's any purchases on church credit cards, uh, what that expense was, so there's accountability there. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, when, it, when there have been times where uh, maybe there's been a little bit of, oh, we don't need to spend this money, and Ben and Stephen and I have come together and said, we're going to spend this money. We're going to spend this money to do this. And that's what happened. 
We so so certainly we delegate out the the nuts and bolts of the finance because we have a great we have a great diaconal team. But you see here a picture of the elders, the one who were they they, they seem to think that it was the elders, the one who steward stewarded the finances at the at the large level. What they did after they got the money, we're, we're not told. In Acts chapter fifteen, if you go over briefly, this will read the last one, then we'll pause uh, for the day. In Acts chapter 15, you have the so-called Jerusalem Council. There's a lot here. But basically, what has happened is that the Gentiles have come in, right? You've had the so-called Gentile Pentecost. You have Gentiles repenting and believing. And now there's like this theological nightmare. It's like, well, for them at least, like, what's going on? Like, what should we do? Should we make them Jewish? Like, do they need to be? And there's a discussion. This is a critical point in redemptive history. And it's interesting that at this point, look what happens. So some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Verse 1 of 15. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is deeply problematic. So it needs to be addressed. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem. And who did they go up to? The apostles and the elders. About the question. Now, why didn't it just say the apostles? Who cares about the elders if you have the apostles there? Well, the elders were involved in making that decision, in judging, in other words, theological issues. In judging theological issues. Verse 4 when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostle and the elders, and they declared all that God had done to them. So the idea is they're bringing it not just to the apostles, but they understood that the elders had a particular role and were responsible for weighing in on what to do about this particular situation. It was, it was a thorny issue. It, may, it might sound very clear to us in retrospect, but if you're on the vanguard of this and the Gentiles have just started to come in and the fulfillment of the 2 Corinthians 6 window has started, like we heard about last week, you might have some questions, and they did, and it was the apostles in conjunction with the elders tasked with making a theological judgment there and, uh, and moving forward. So clearly, even the apostles had a high esteem of the elders because there, there isn't that verse in there like, well, actually, the elders can go you know, play t-ball. We're, we'll figure this out. We're the apostles. They, they, they said, no, we're going to make this decision together. Okay, well, we're at time here. I want to close. Um, we have quite a bit more to push through, but I hope that looking at these passages— confirms, if we've talked about these things, this right here. God-ordained shepherds of local churches, primarily responsible for guarding and promoting the spiritual health, teaching, and macro-level leadership of the church. We'll get into more of that uh, next time. Let's pray, please. God, thank you for these passages that encourage us and that describe this particular role. sobered by teaching on them as an elder myself and feel my own inadequacies and longings to, to be a, a better shepherd. But Lord, we pray that you would help us continue to think about these things well in ways that are sober-minded and in ways that perhaps heal wounds from people who have been uh, really hurt by church authority or talk of submission and the like. Lord, bless us in our next hour as Stephen preaches in Jesus' name. Amen.